0: We have sound. That's great. Uh, We're glad to be uh, back with you. It's a a nice full crowd. How many of you are happy to be here? How many of you are going to the wedding tomorrow? All right, most of the hands. Anyone who didn't raise their hand, we have somebody watching at the back. They'll take care of it. (laughs) We're dealing with communication this afternoon, and what a great topic. We're going to break it into two sections. I'm going to do the first section because men came before women. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I just felt my first communication class, and uh, then the second section my wife is going to do, so uh, we're going to split it up that way. We're also going to hand out now, if you would have a question, we're going to hand out some cards, and uh, you can just raise your hand, and we will hand you a card, and you can just fill that out and uh, uh, before the end of the session, and then right at the end, we're going to we're going to have a smaller group, probably, and just answer some of the questions. So if anybody would like to ask a question, you can raise a card. You know, do you always raise your hand? That's, that's just awesome. The reason why is I'm a speaker, and I know participation. You, you love participation, and I, I love to have you here. Yeah, honey, I, is it all right for me to tell another man that I love him? Anyway... <laughs> that's true masculinity. So uh, if you have a question, just raise your hand. If you don't have a pen, you can beg, borrow, don't steal one. Uh, Just borrow on a non-returnable basis and you'll be fine. We're dealing with communication that connects. And so our first part here, we're going to look at understanding conflict. How many of you have never had any conflict? Anyone here never had any conflict? All right, first problem you have is dishonesty, and we can chat about that. So, uh, yeah, we all have conflict, right, at one stage or another. How do we deal with it? What do you think is the primary reason for conflict? If I was to say to you, if you look through the Bible, and it talked about people fighting with each other, what do you think would be the primary reason for that conflict? Pride. Pride is good, but it's rooted in something else, all right? James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, James 4 verses 1 through 3, it says, why do we have so much conflict? Why are we fighting with each other? And it gives the answer, James 4 verses 1 through 3, it says, what is the cause of all of our conflict? What's behind it all? All right, somebody with a nice loud voice, go ahead and read that. And then I'll just repeat some of it for the microphone. Go ahead. Uh, So what is the reason for conflict? What do we want to do with things? When we ask for something, what are we asking for? Something to benefit myself. It's for selfish purposes. The number one reason for conflict, why there are wars among us, is because we really want things for ourselves. And so as we go through conflict, you'll see that the number one reason for conflict is is that we are consumed with our own personal desires. Can you say amen? amen? That's what's behind it. We're consumed. Now, I really appreciated Mike's reading and Good King James English. And Mike, just nice to have you in this relationship and communication seminar. (laughs) All right. I didn't say anything else. Mike, you noticed that. All right. So let's take a look at some causes of conflict. And the first one we're going to take a look at is miscommunication. Sometimes we really just don't hear what the other person has to say. For instance, there was a man during the days before fax machines and phone machines they had, guess what? They had telegrams. And this man was fairly wealthy, and he let his wife go over to Europe on a shopping trip. And so as she was on the shopping trip, she ended up uh, going into this expensive store and seeing a $5,000 mink coat that was available. And so she said, I just want this mink coat, but her husband had said to her, before you buy anything expensive, you better let me know so I can tell you whether we can afford it or not. And so she got the store owner to send back a telegram to her husband saying, mink coat, absolutely beautiful, price 5,000 pounds. Her husband sends back a message that simply says, no price too high, and the store owner says, Ma'am, your husband must love you very much. He says, no price too high. She's ecstatic. She gets the mink coat. She goes back home, and he sees her in the mink coat, and he goes, honey, I told you not to buy that. She said, I got the message. It said, no price too high. I knew I was valuable to you. He said, oh, no. They meant to put a period. It was no price too high. (laughs) And so miscommunication happens, And so when you find that there's conflict, you have to step back and say, have we simply not heard each other correctly? You all follow me on that? Second cause of conflict is unmet expectations. Sometimes when we get married, we believe that the other person knows exactly what we expect. And so we go into the marriage thinking, you know what, they're going to understand just perfectly what I need. Now I told my wife, that I loved doing the dishes, I lied. (laughs) All right, I didn't expect to. You know, I was one of those modern men, you know, honey, we're going to split the household duties. You'll do half, I'll do half. But the reality was it was programmed into my head that somehow she would do the dishes. And so when the dishes weren't done, I was kind of like, you know, what kind of woman is this? She doesn't even wash the dishes, you know? And so I went, I, I would go into the sink, and you know how it is? You, you start banging the dishes to get attention. Bang, bang, you know, wash, wash, bang. And, you know, it's like you're trying to communicate without communicating, and so I would be a little frustrated there. And she was thinking, you know, what a loving husband I have. He's busy doing the dishes. Bang! <laughs> Bang! You know? And so I'm banging the dishes there. I have a completely different set of feeling about this dishwashing than she has. And it's because I had had this expectation somehow built in that somehow once we got married, I wouldn't have to do the dishes. You following me here? It was an unmet expectation. And once we clarified the expectation, I could say, am I being reasonable? And we could talk about it. And she told me later on, you know what? You do kind of expect the wife to do more around the house than what you said. Isn't that right, honey? (laughs) And uh, it's true we had to clarify that and and understand from two different backgrounds, two different cultures, what our expectations were. I grew up in Zimbabwe. We had two servants. The house cleaned itself, you know? (laughs) I got married. My socks did not pick themselves up off the floor for some reason, and she had to communicate her expectation that I would have this ability to pick up the socks and carry them to the laundry, which I did learn over time. What was the, resolution of the, dishes? the resolution of the dishes? She makes the food, I wash the dishes. I wash dishes, folks. All right. <laughs> Another cause of conflict is unresolved personal issues. You see, When you get together in a relationship with any person, not just marriage, you have built-in things that come from your family background that will crop up, they are landmines that you walk into if you're another person. You don't know why it is. Have any of you gone door-to-door knocking? Okay, what's it like? You knock on somebody's door, one lady's sweet, I mean, she's just like sugar. You go to the next lady, Mrs. Battleaxe opens the door, what do you want? And you go, well, I was just doing a, a survey in the, in the community. I'm not interested. Bang. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it because of what you said that she wasn't interested? Or was she pre-programmed to be nasty? Yeah, because maybe she had been irritated by someone else who had come to her door. Maybe she had had a bad day inside the house. In other words, her reaction to you had nothing to do with you. Are you following me? So, what we find in relationships, sometimes people react to us not because of what we're, we've done, but because there is an unresolved personal issue. I'll give you an example. My wife and I are traveling in the car. My foot's a little heavier on the accelerator than it should be, gentlemen. And so here we are, rah, you know, going down the freeway. I'm very comfortable. She's not. I don't know that until we get a little closer to one of the cars up ahead of us, and suddenly she goes, ah, and I go, ah, is there something in the way? And, and I, I, I'm pulling off the road, like, what was it? Was it an animal? Was it, was it a deer? You know, what, what was it? And she says, she says, can you just not drive so fast? Well, we figured out that when she was a child, if anybody criticized her dad's driving, it was really bad. You know, they, 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 it was not a comfortable experience. Everybody got tense in the car and so on. And so when we're driving along, as soon as I started going fast, she wanted to tell me, this is too fast for me. You're too close to the bumper ahead of me. But she couldn't do it because why? She was afraid of getting the same reaction that she had had before. Yeah, exactly. So she was afraid of getting exactly the same reaction. So I said to her, honey... Listen. Instead of frightening me out of my nerves, <laughs> you can tell me, and I'll slow down. Which I had to remind myself to do because now I'd made this promise with her. So the next time she kind of goes, uh, "Would you um, mind slowing down? This is a little fast for me." And I'm thinking, "Fast? We're only doing 75." No, no. <laughs> so I said, "I said sure," and I slowed down and I didn't react. And she just looked at me. She said, "That's amazing." That's amazing. I mean, you just, I just said this and you slowed down. Now, of course, I had pre-programmed myself to have that response. But the reality is that many times things crop up and conflict occurs, not because of the other person, but because of previous landmines that have been built into us by our past experience. All right? Next cause of conflict, as we've mentioned, just plain selfishness. There are times in the middle of the night when you know, uh, one of our children will awake. And what happens in this situation is both partners try and pretend that they're asleep. <laughs> and, and why are we pretending we're asleep? Because neither one of us wants to actually get up and attend to the child. We would prefer to sleep. And so you lie there and you, you make the appropriate... <sighs> <laughs> and then, you know, eventually you're kind of ribbed in the side and it's like, it's your turn. And I know. I know it's always my turn because she does 90% of it. So whenever she wakes me up, it must be my turn, right? So I, I'll kind of yawn and like, wow, you yeah, know, was, I was so heavy sleeping. I didn't even hear that 180 decibel scream that came out there, <laughs> you know, uh, that the neighbors almost came to knock on our door about. And so I, I, I find that I do things because I'm selfish. You, you follow? And we do selfish things that cause conflict and that, that require forgiveness. So these are some of the causes of conflict. Now we need to take a look at how do you deal with conflict. Five different styles of dealing with conflict. There's a little graph here. And can you see this line here? This axis is showing that these are people who go from very little interest in maintaining the relationship to a high interest in maintaining the relationship. This axis is people who have little interest in their goals, to a high interest in maintaining their goals, in in achieving their goals. So what happens in conflict is that the turtle here, what does he do? He runs away. He avoids conflict. So he doesn't try and do anything. He just retreats into his shell and hopes that the conflict will pass. Sometimes a good thing to do. Sometimes the best thing to do in conflict is retreat and avoid. Jesus did it at times. Then there are the teddy bears. The teddy bears are interested in maintaining the relationship at all costs. So the teddy bear, they, there's a conflict and the teddy bear goes, Oh, whatever you want. What will make you happy? Oh, is that what you want to do? Sure, we'll do that. The problem with turtles and teddy bears is that they can end up getting frustrated. Now, let me ask you, I'm a teddy bear. How many of you are teddy bears? Come on, you see, you should be able to raise your hand, the teddy bears. I'm not asking the turtles, you notice. <laughs> All right? So if you're a teddy bear, yeah, you're a teddy bear. You know, so you like, you like to please people, right? And it's nice to make them feel comfortable at home. But every now and again, your boundaries get crossed, right? And, and people go over it. Yeah, yeah, he's agreeing with me. See, what a nice teddy bear. All right. <laughs> then there's the fox. The fox looks to compromise. Uh, so the fox is going to try and find a compromise between the relationship and their goals. And then there's the sharks. The sharks are people who will achieve their goals at any cost. And so uh, if you ever have a relationship with a salesperson, a salesperson knows how to achieve their goals. At the end of the day, if you lose the relationship, well, that's what happens. But they can achieve the goals. And then there's the owl. The owl seeks for a win-win situation. Now, most of us want to be there. But the reality of life is you can't always do that. Sometimes you need to be a teddy bear, sometimes you need to be a fox, sometimes you need to be a shark, and sometimes you need to be a turtle. The reality, however, is each one of us tends to fall into one of these categories. And here's what happens in a relationship. Sharks and teddy bears tend to get together. And guess what happens? The shark says, hey, we need to do this. Teddy bear goes, Oh sure, let's do that. And they go and do it, but after a while the teddy bear begins to feel resentment until they, whether a teddy bear or a turtle, they start to build up this volcano and suddenly BAM all of it comes out. And so we need to be able to figure out each other's styles and move a little closer to each other. If you are dating or married to a teddy bear, you need to not be so shark-like. Does that make sense? And if you're a teddy bear, you need to express yourself better. You need to be able to express your goals and your desires. All right, so three steps to conflict resolution, three biblical steps based on Matthew 18. Firstly, speak to God. Why would you speak to God first? He's the source of all wisdom. And because, what else? Yes, He deals with our selfishness. I, I sometimes don't feel like praying. There's times when I'm like, Lord, I don't want to pray about this. You know why? Because I'm afraid He might convict me. <laughs> you know, like you need to apologize. Well, I'm not going to apologize. You know, so when I pray, it changes my attitude. So the f- reason why I pray first is I find He softens my heart. And before I say some of those damaging things that I'm about to say... When I pray, God changes my heart and I find different things coming out of my mouth. Then the second step based on Matthew 18 is speak directly to the person. This we call not confrontation, we call it care carefrontation. That means that you are going to go and speak to the person in a caring way. You're still going to confront the issue, but you're going to be caring about it. If that doesn't work, you may seek a mediator. Some situations require that. Uh, now, why would you con- confront a person, con- uh, care-front a person? Why wouldn't you just let it go? Why not just do the turtle thing, retreat within your shell, and hope that it goes away? It's not sustainable. Over a period of time, eventually, it will fall apart. Things will get damaged. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it go down in your anger. Why not? Because, you see, I can go to bed angry and wake up happy. How many of you are like that? You can go to bed angry and wake up happy. My wife will go to bed angry and wake up mad. (laughs) You see? Because if she needs to deal with it, for me, when I sleep on it, I'm done with it. But if she sleeps on it, she will think about it the next day and feel the separation between me and her. The next day she will remember it. She'll, She'll still experience it. And so I've learned that it's worth it to care front to deal with the issue, to take it out of the way, instead of letting it festering. It will also come back to haunt you if you don't deal with it. There are times when you're not able to resolve it, however, and that's when you need a mediator. All right, let's take a look now at the second part, understanding communication, and then my wife is gonna deal with our third section here. How many of you have seen the communication cycle? Sender, receiver, you all know that. I'm not gonna go into great detail, except to say you have a message, you have a response, the way we communicate lends itself to misunderstanding. Somebody says something, the person on the other end feeds it through a filter, and that filter reinterprets what that person is saying. So when I feel really positively toward my wife, she can say anything, and I'll nod my head and say, that's wonderful, honey. How many of you have tried this? You've you've gone to a dog, and with the right tone of voice, you've said... Come here, Fido, you silly little mutt. I want to I grab hold of you because you just did your potty on the floor. Come here, Fido. Nice boy. And the dog comes. <laughs> because he doesn't realize he's not listening to the words you say. He's listening to the tone of voice, right? In the same way, we may have understandings about another person, and what we hear is based on our, on our understandings or is based on some nonverbal cues, and we don't actually hear what they say. So this cycle of message and response is fraught with dangers. But there's another challenge, and that is something called scripting. Scripting is when we say the same things over and over again to each other without saying anything new. I do counseling, and so every now and again, I'll have a married couple come in, and they'll sit down, and they'll start having a discussion. You know, they start talking to each other, and pretty soon, I deliberately stir the pot and get them mad at each other. I have a reason. I want to see what the issues are. So I take an issue that I know is an issue in the relationship, and I throw it in. It's a landmine issue. And I throw it in. I watch them go with each other. Let them go for like 15 minutes. Then I call time out, you know, before they kill each other. <laughs> and I say, all right, what is it that caused the problem here? You know, what, what's going on? I, and I ask the man. I always like to pick on the man because I'm guaranteed that this will work. I say, can you tell me what she just said? And he can't. Then I ask her, how many times have you repeated the same arguments to him? She says, hundreds of times. She's repeated them hundreds of times, but he hasn't heard her. See, what's happened? They've gotten to the same thing. He says this, she says this. He says this, she says this. He says this, she says this. They say exactly the same things to each other over and over again, hoping what? That the other person will actually hear them. So how do we break out of these disruptive cycles, these scripts that we say over and over again to each other? I'm going to quote from Stephen Covey here, first seek to understand, then to be understood. So let's take a look at how do we seek to understand. The number one way to break out of destructive cycles is by listening. Now, you may think you know how to listen, but believe you me, once you get married, you discover you don't, all right? Here's some basic listening skills, and uh, we're going to run through it and then just kind of show it to you. And I wonder if we can use that mic and one other one. Uh, So we may need one more mic for this illustration in a while. Reflective listening. Reflective listening is when you repeat back to the other person what they've just said. So for instance, if the person says to you, you know, I'm really mad about what happened this afternoon, you go, it seems like you're angry about what happened this afternoon, Now, if you do it too much, it's going to sound like a parrot. You know, yeah, I am mad about what happened this afternoon because I felt that you really betrayed me. So you're mad about what happened this afternoon because I really betrayed you. (laughs) You know, and that'll work for a while, but it doesn't always work for long. Yeah, thank you. So what will happen, reflective listening, however, is powerful because if the other person feels like you're actually hearing the words they said, it does stop them from just saying the same things over and over again. You follow me? Then there's active listening. Active listening goes beyond repeating what they said and is instead trying to find more of what's in the background. It's trying to, find, it's trying to, to, to get more of the overall picture. Sometimes with active listening, you can guess at what's really going on. For instance, I had a young lady in my office who I'd been studying the Bible with for about four months. And so as we were sitting in my office there, she, she suddenly blurts out and says, I'm not interested in being an Adventist. And, and I'm like, what's going on here? And I knew she was going on holiday. And so I took a guess. I said, uh, is there anything you need to tell me? What, what's happening with your parents? And so she began telling about how her parents wanted her to go to a traditional uh, African feast to worship the ancestors, and now she was going to be becoming an Adventist, and she didn't know how to tell them that she was going to become an Adventist. And they, she didn't know how to explain to them that she wasn't going to this ancestral feast anymore. And now she was mad at Adventism. She didn't say all of this, but as I was listening, I began to form an, an hypothesis about what was going on. And she just said, "My parents are upset. They want me to go to this ancestral feast." And she started telling me all of this. And I finally said, "Are you worried?" about what your parents will think about your becoming an Adventist. And she just broke down and started to cry. And she said yes. She never brought up about not wanting to be an Adventist again, and I had the privilege of baptizing her when she returned from her trip home. And she didn't go to the ancestral feast. And so I recognized that sometimes we need to listen deeper, find out what's the issue. So active listening is listening deeper. In evangelism, let me give you a little evangelism technique. You ready for this? It's called the three Fs, feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. I felt the same way before. And you know what I found? You know, And so you can tell people, you know, I understand how you feel. I felt that way when when Joe was was with so-and-so, was with Mary, Joseph and Mary. That's good. I (laughs) felt the same way about Joseph when he was with Mary. And and I, I, I felt I, it was really hard for me. I'm so glad you came, you came to tell me about that because I felt the same way before. And you know what I found I found it was a misunderstanding. And so once I figured out it was a misunderstanding, I, we, we could chat about it. And what I thought was going on in his head wasn't actually what was going on. I just want to let you know, there is nothing between myself and Christine. We're just friends. <laughs> what if there was? Then you'd have to say... You'd have to say, all right, get out your boxing mitts. Who's, who's better? No. <laughs> You'd have to sit down and say, hey, well, what are we going to do? We both like the same girl. We're friends. We're not going to let this come between us. We have to figure out what's the appropriate way to go about winning her affections. And, and we, can, we can't go head to head with each other and pretend like we're enemies. So that's, uh, that's the solution there. Proverbs 17 verse 28. You know this one? And then I need to wrap up so that my wife can uh, come on up. Proverbs 17, verse 28. What does it say? Somebody want to read it out there? All right, there's great wisdom in not saying too much. Amen. Some people merely open their mouths to change feet. So we gotta be careful. An important component of listening is affirmation. When you affirm a person, they get to understand this person cares about me. This person cares how I feel. Here's what happens between men and women. When a woman will say, Hey, there's a problem here, what is a man's often response? Let me solve that problem for you. See the reason why you have a problem, honey? Is because I'm just picking on them because they're in the front. You see, the reason why you have a problem here, Sonny, let me explain it to you. The reason why you feel badly is because you have a misconception about the way the other person feels, and we can quickly resolve this, all right? Where's that going to get you, Tim? Nowhere. Nowhere, right? Because what's she looking for? Does she want a solution or sympathy? She wants sympathy. Everyone follow me on that? So an important component of listening is affirmation. Second way is to seek to be understood. The second critical way to break out of destructive cycles is by learning to own and express your feelings and attitudes. And uh, again, this means ownership, not defensiveness. How many of you have found that the other person gets defensive? Yeah, notice I didn't put you. I just put the other person. So (laughs) we we find the other person. You know, you say, you know, I just wanted to bring up that I don't like to have Food left lying on the table four hours later. You know that—that's something I'm not used to. And the other person says, "Well, like I'm the slob. I mean, who leaves a dirty ring around the bathtub?" You know. And so you get into these defensive cycles. You go, "Well, what about you?" You know. And you get into these things that break communication down. So ownership means I messages. I messages say I take ownership. I am the one who feels this way. When you are feeling badly about the relationship, when there is conflict, is it your problem or the other person's problem? It's yours. Why? The other person's happy. You know, they're happy, they're going through, they think everything's fine. You're the one who's burning up with resentment. So you have to admit to what's going on, to your anger, your hurt feelings, and go to the other person and admit to them. This helps you take ownership of your feelings and attitudes, And it prevents you from judging, evaluating others' behavior. Now, I know you'll find in the Bible where it judges us. But I prefer to let the Word of God judge me instead of other people. You you follow that? I can let the Word of God speak. I can let the spirit of prophecy speak. And I like to leave prophetic judgments with the prophets. (laughs) All right? So here's do we represent Jesus. Some pride themselves on being outspoken, blunt, and rough, and they call this frankness. But it is not rightly named. It is selfishness of the deepest dye. These persons may have virtues. They may be liberal and of kind impulses. But their discourteous manners render them almost insupportable. They criticize, they wound, they say disagreeable things. And then she asks the question, does the character that they are cultivating represent Jesus? Will it fit them for the society of heaven? We shall do well to examine ourselves to see what manner of spirit we are cherishing. Let us learn to do what? Speak gently, quietly, even under circumstances the most trying. Let us control not only our words, but our thoughts and imagination. In other words, we can't just say, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. We, in our minds, we have to eradicate even those thoughts and imaginations. Let us be what? kind courteous in our words and deportment so we are just asked to be kind Ephesians chapter 4 is a great chapter on that that means ineffective communication tools are labels you're always like your mother you know you know you're always like your grandmother you know you we like to put these labels on people you're a pig you're a slob those are labels commands you better do this because that doesn't give them a freedom of choice accusations. So, I know what you've been doing. You've been sneaking around behind my back and, and calling, calling your ex-girlfriends. Well, you don't know if that's true. That's an accusation we need to be careful of. So, those things we need to avoid. Instead, I'm going to suggest some biblical principles. Number one, forgive the offender. How many of you like to forgive? Yeah, afterwards, right? <laughs> during, it, during the time, it takes a lot of swallowing of pride. Then speak the truth in love. That means we must speak the truth, but speak it in love. And we need to speak edifying words. Uh, The words, I'm sorry. Here, let me get on this side. The words, I'm sorry and I forgive you, are some of the most healing words in a relationship. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, It just brings a a couple together. When we speak the truth in love, uh, it's, it's a special thing that takes place. It says, I trust you enough to tell you what I really think, right? They found that when people don't trust each other, that's when there's no conflict. Because the lack of trust means that we pretend that there aren't any issues. It's actually the trust relationship that enables us to deal with the conflict. Uh, I know one couple that whenever the husband makes a mistake, it's kind of broadcast around the house. You will never believe what he did. He did this, and he did that, and it's like a song of victory. But you can imagine that in that household, no one wants to admit that they're wrong. And so we need to be willing to tell the truth, but to tell it in love, and to speak edifying words. What's another word for edifying? Building up, encouraging words. Words that are going to build up the other person and make them more like Jesus. We also need to repay evil with good. So when when someone does something against us, Turn around and do something good to them. Is that what Jesus would have done? Absolutely. And that's what we need to do in return. So here are four quick biblical principles. And I I think that will help us to stick to the issue, but keep using your listening skills. I'm going to quickly cover something. How much time do you guys have? I mean, I know I have a practice at 6 o'clock or something. Is it at 6 or at 5? It's at 6 o'clock, but we're not going to go to 6. You know, I'm a preacher. We could go forever. But uh, let me wrap up this section, and then my wife has a great section. So let me, let me quickly skip through this one. Men are like waffles, and women are like spaghetti. How do we, why is that? Why are men like waffles? Because men operate in compartments and boxes, right? You know, a waffle has little boxes, <laughs> little squares. And so a man is in his work box, a man's in his home box, a man's in his play box, he has these boxes. Women are like spaghetti. Any of you ever try to follow a piece of spaghetti to the end? You gets halfway through. It touches everything else. Your wife starts telling you about Jane, and you're listening about Jane and how she's had a problem at the Bible study, and then they start talking about Mary at the Bible study. And then as they're talking about Mary at the Bible study, they remember Mary's son who's autistic. And then they get on to autism. And you're say, wait, hold on here. What were we talking about to begin with? It's because women's brains are interconnected. And so everything in their lives is connected to other things. Does that make sense? And so as you deal with conflict and communication, recognize that men and women are different. So here's my quick summary. The most common cause of conflict is selfishness. Most conflict can be avoided by what? Effective, caring communication, of which is the most important skill in conflict management? Listening and... Taking responsibility for your own feelings and attitudes. So thank you, folks. Now my wife's going to come up and share. Do you want this, this microphone or that one? All right.
1: So. All right. You see why I married the man? Isn't he wonderful? I tell you, when I first met Alan, I was like, wow, you know, this guy is such a great listener. I just, I just want to spend more time with him. And, yeah, there you go. That was the end of that. now we're going to talk about word pictures a biblical communication tool the bible is packed with word pictures and all of you are familiar with them but maybe we should discover first what a word picture is an emotional word picture is a communication tool that uses a story or object to activate simultaneously the emotions and intellect of a person. In so doing, it causes the person to experience our words, not just to hear them. That's from The Language of Love by Gary Smalley and John Trent. That's a great book that explains word pictures, how to make them, how to use them to communicate. What we're doing is just really briefly, but a lot of the stuff that I'm sharing here, you can get from the same book. Um, Anyway, in the, The Language of Love, it explains... For example, you remember the story about... King David and Bathsheba. God could have used all manner of ways to reach David's heart. But what did he do? How did God reach David? He sent a prophet with a word picture. And the prophet came to him and he could have said, David, you have sinned and you need to repent or God is going to punish you. And David might have said off with his head. That could have happened. But Nathan instead came to David and he went past his defensive barriers And spoke to his heart. He told about what? A shepherd. What would reach David's heart better than a shepherd and a sheep? You know, as soon as Nathan started telling the story, I'm sure David started thinking of, oh, there was that sheep. Oh man, I love that sheep. He's already got in his mind the sheep that he loved, this little lamb that he raised. And then as Nathan goes through the story, he really brings on David's wrath. And then when David says, that guy deserves to die, then he says, You are the one. You see, he got past his his defensive barriers and reached his heart. And that's what word pictures do. A word picture can be book-length, like Pilgrim's Progress, the story of Christian on his way from the city of destruction to the the promised land, um, I guess the celestial city. That's a book-length word picture. But a word picture can be very short. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Bible is packed with word pictures about God is our rock. What are, what are some of the word picture names for God? He is our fortress, our refuge. He is God with us. The, the Bible is full of these. God is pictured in so many ways to help us to understand who he is. He is a lamb, right? So those are word pictures. They can be long, they can be short, but a word picture will help you to get across to somebody. And I've seen this happen over and over with people who have gone in these cycles, you know. He always says this, and then she always says that. And I say, well, have you ever thought of using a word picture to explain what you're feeling? One day I, I was talking with one of my friends who, she said, I just can't stand this. My husband does not understand. I hate, I hate that he, he wants to decorate Everything everything in yellow. I can't stand yellow. He doesn't get it. And I said, have you ever thought of sharing a word picture with him? And so we talked about it for a little while together. And she, she tried talking with him about a word picture that night. She said, you know, honey, it's kind of like you've come home and, you know, you, you get home from work and you find I am miserable. And you say, what's wrong? And I say, well, you should know. And you say, what can I do? Can I do something to help you? And you go in the kitchen, you fix me a fabulous meal, and you bring it to me. And I say, yeah, but that's not what I want. And you say, what What can I do? What can I do? And and you, you rub my feet, and you turn the heat up on the house, and you run me a hot bath, and you're doing everything you can think of to help me, but there's one thing that you're not doing, and that's the one thing that I need. And then he said, what? What can I do? What? What is it that's? That you're longing for she said it's as if i'm thirsty and you're not bringing me a drink of water and then he said well uh, what am i doing that's that's not giving you the one thing that you long for she said i can't stand yellow <laughs> <laughs> he got the point going over it and over it for months had not had not gotten through to him. But one word picture, bang, the lights came on. They didn't decorate anything else in yellow. Sometimes a word picture gets past the barriers where a person just doesn't understand what you're talking about, and all of a sudden, they get it. I've talked with Alan about this. One time I, I told him, well, no, I'll tell you that one later. Ha. Jesus used word pictures more than any other single communication tool in his parables, parables are all word pictures the good Samaritan, all these things there were stories that would come back to the person's mind and as they watched the sheep grazing on the hills or as they watched the waves lapping along the sea oh yeah, that's like what Jesus was talking about And most of what we have recorded in the Gospels of Jesus' sermons is word pictures. So either that was all that he said, or that was all the disciples remembered. Um, (laughs) The point is, word pictures stick with you, and they continue making a difference. The Bible uses them on nearly every page. Studies show that when we hear a word picture, our brains work faster and expend more energy than while reading or listening to conventional words it is like driving into a thick fog which suddenly makes you concentrate intensely on your surroundings that is a word picture you concentrate on your surroundings because you're in a thick fog now if I tell you I've got a lemon up here here's my phantom lemon and I've got a phantom knife to cut it with so I'm now cutting my lemon and then I take my half a lemon and I squeeze it into my mouth some of you are salivating those who uh, listen well (laughs) now was the lemon big or small? How many of you had a big lemon? Was there a big lemon in my hand? Show me, raise your hand if you had a big lemon in my hand. How many of you had a small lemon in my hand? All right. <laughs> I won't ask if your lemon was yellow. Um, the point is, when, when I started telling you about this phantom lemon, to which you had no emotional connection, you suddenly imagined it and this is the key with word pictures when you get somebody to listen to your word picture their imagination is already going so if you're telling them imagine you walk into your dream house you don't have to describe your dream house they're walking into their dream house and they have more of an emotional connection to their dream house than they do to your dream house then if you say and then somebody comes and pours slop all over the floor of your dream house they feel it much more than if it was your dream house and they go oh man her house So this is the key. With a word picture, you engage their emotions, their intellect, and they follow you on what's most important to them. Um, How do they work? Here's proof. The year before the film Bambi was released, deer hunting was a $9.5 million business. But the following deer season, hunters spent only $4.1 million on tags, permits, and hunting trips. Now, some of that might have been because they had children who were going, Daddy, no! Don't kill Bambi's mother! (laughs) But you can be sure that that wasn't all because all of these guys suddenly said, that's what the poor baby deer are going through? It wasn't that way for them. They, They knew intellectually, come on, it's a movie, it doesn't really happen that way. But when they watched it, it hit them in the hearts, and they just couldn't bear to go out there and kill deer anymore. Not everybody, obviously, but certainly quite a few. After a few hours, the average person will remember only 7% of a half-hour speech. That's very discouraging, isn't it? And now it's been more than half an hour. You're only going to remember 3% of what I say, right? Until puberty, children experience change primarily through direct instruction. However, for adolescents and adults, life changes occur mainly through significant emotional events, like a death or marriage. When you look back at your life, what have been the significant events that have been turning points in your life? Chances are they were going to be emotional events, maybe your baptism, a marriage, um, graduations, things that, things that happened that had a significant emotional impact. Those are the things that change your life forever. Because they activate emotions, word pictures can lead to positive change. When your emotions are involved, it makes you willing to, to change. Word pictures capture a person's attention by simultaneously appealing to thoughts and feelings, creating a theater of the mind. When I say thoughts and feelings, do you remember what Ellen White talks about? What, what is the, the character made of? Your thoughts and your feelings together make up your moral character. And that's why when a sermon is preached, it may not make a lot of impact on you, but what about if there's a story in the middle of it? How many of you remember this? How many of you were there when Dwight Nelson started net ninety eight? Anybody watch that? Yeah, by by satellite, right. Um, Do you remember the story that he used to close? If you heard it, you probably would. It was a story about a woman who was driving her car. She was terrified. Because this trucker was driving. Some of you are nodding. You remember the story, okay? That's a word picture. The woman was driving along terrified because a trucker was barreling up right onto her bumper, had his bright lights on. She couldn't get away from him. She drove fast. She drove slow. He would not leave her alone until finally she just shot off the freeway at the last possible minute off the exit, and the man still followed her. She went straight to the gas station, jumped out of her car, and ran screaming into the gas station. And the man jumped out of his truck and ran to her car and jerked open the back door of the car and pulled out the guy that he had seen hiding behind her seat with a knife. All that time, she had thought, he's the bad guy, the trucker, but he was the one who was saving her life. That was a powerful word picture illustrating that some people think God is the one to be afraid of, but instead, he's the one to be a friend of, and that God is our best friend. An excellent word picture, and it sticks with you. So, word pictures enable us to clarify and intensify what we want to say, using fewer words and making more impact. Word pictures, last but not least, bypass defensive barriers and reach hearts. Now, if you want to make a word picture for somebody, you know, not all of us are married, but I'm sure you have people that you sometimes want to communicate with. Maybe, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a brother or sister or a child or a roommate or just a friend who's going through a difficult time. Sometimes you just have to figure out what is it that you want to do. Um, One time I remember I told Alan a, a word picture about, I just wanted to let him know how I felt. And I said every morning I feel like I get up, I'm sleeping on the beach of this river. And I get up and I wade into the water and I swim as hard as I can all day long. And when I crawl out of the river at the end of the day, if I'm lucky, I've swum upstream a few feet. And even if I am lucky enough to have swum upstream a few feet, I'm a few feet higher up the beach. So what? Because tomorrow I'm going to get back in and I'm probably going to be swept 20 feet downstream. Because there's all the housework to do. The house is never clean. The children are never disobedient, are never obedient. And yet I spend all day trying to get the house clean and get the children to be obedient. It never happens. I'm always struggling upstream. It's like, what's the use? If I just let the whole place become a disaster, it won't look any worse than it looks when I clean it. But that's, that's not true, of course. Believe me. <laughs> Give it a day. But it's how I felt. And he understood. Once I shared with him how I felt. My purpose in that word picture was just to clarify how I felt. It wasn't to accomplish something. It wasn't to get him to clean the house for me. It was just because I needed to share with him how I felt. If you want to move to a deeper level of intimacy, I talked with a friend recently who was really struggling to get past a barrier with her mother. So we put together a word picture that she could write in a letter to her mother and help her mother to understand how she was feeling and moving to a deeper level of intimacy with her mother praise or encourage someone, sometimes you may do everything you can to help this person understand how much they mean to you, but they're just going to go, no, nah, everybody says that. Oh, I didn't do that well. You know, sometimes a word picture can get through to a person or lovingly correct them. I remember I had a student who was just, she was, I was running a call program. This girl was a brilliant salesperson. She was dynamic. She had all kinds of things going for her, but she was such a complainer. She was very independent, and she had been used to running her own life until she had recently come to Christ. And the leaders and I were talking, you oh, know, what are we going to do? We overhear her talking on the phone with her parents. She's, she's miserable. She didn't, the other students don't even want to work with her. So I sat down with her one day, and I said, I want to tell you a story. She had been a, a, a jockey racing horses before. So I said, you know, I want you to imagine that there's a horse in a corral, And the horse is just wandering along the fence all the time thinking, if only I could get out. One day, he has his big break. There's a a hole in the fence. He jumps out and he's able to run wild and free just like he always wanted to. Now he can run as long as he wants. His mane and tail are flying. He's so happy. He's finally free. And then he starts discovering as he's out there and free that... The water in creeks is sometimes muddy and disgusting to drink. He can't always find good food, and there are wolves out here that chase him. He has to run for his life, and sometimes there are holes in the ground and molehills that he can't see until he steps on them, and just once, and he'll break his leg. It wasn't like that back when he was in the corral. He was safe there, although it wasn't always happy because he wanted to be free, but he, at least he was safe. And then one day, he comes upon the same corral, and there's still a hole in the fence. And he thinks, should I do it? Should I not? And yes, he makes his decision. He jumps back through the hole in the fence and he's back in the corral. His owners are overjoyed. They repair the fence. He has the best oats he can eat. They brush his coat. He has fresh water. No wolves can get in at night. It's wonderful. He's just in paradise, finally. But one day, he starts looking over the fence and thinking about what it was like to have the wind through his mane and his tail and flying along. Wow, that felt good. And he starts just getting a little dissatisfied. He's thinking, oh, if only. And somehow the memories of all the bad things out there start to fade. I said, well, that's a story that I thought maybe you could relate to. What do you think? She said, I get it. You're right. It won't happen again. And that was it. We never had one more complaint from the girl. Her attitude turned around, she knew exactly where she was going, and it was, it was amazing to see the difference. Now, I'm not saying you can expect that to happen every time you share a word picture with somebody, but it is com- amazing just to see what the Lord can do in a person's life. And if you want to bring a person to a decision for Christ, the best sermons very often end with stories, don't they? We pay attention so much better. You know how it is when everybody's sitting there in the sermon and it's getting hot in the church, and then the pastor says, I remember when I was a kid, and everybody goes, "Ah." (laughs) It's a word picture. (laughs) Now, when you want to write a word picture that's going to really reach a heart, carefully study the other person's interests. Nathan studied David's interests. He was a shepherd. When I talked to my student, I talked about horse racing because that was something that she loved. She had a passion for horses. Um, when, you, when you write something you want to if you, you know, some people they, they really just have a hard time being creative. They're like, "Whoa, oh, how can I write a word picture? These are the four inexhaustible wells of word pictures. Nature, everyday objects, imaginary stories, and remember when. If you just think about these things, you know, if you can't think of something you want to appeal to this person, you say, okay, what are some of his favorite things? He likes to watch football. Or maybe you tell them a word picture about a TV, and one day you're watching your favorite program, and all of a sudden the TV blows up, and you're right in the middle, and you know five minutes from the end of the football game. That's how I feel when. You know, reach the person's heart. Sometimes nature is just a, a great way that you can find something like the, the river illustration that I gave you, how I felt crawling into the river every day. Remember when is when you already know something you have been through with someone else. And imaginary stories sometimes are the easiest. Just ask my daughter. <laughs> Rehearse your story. That's the next thing. When you're going to tell a person a story, don't just pick something off the top of your head and say, Oh, okay, you know what? Sometimes I feel like... There was a story in the, the book I'm telling you about the language of love where they started this seminar and told this, this group all about this Word pictures and how great it was to use a word picture. And she got all excited and that night. She came home and her husband was watching football. And so she said, that's it. I'm so sick of this. He wouldn't go to this marriage seminar with me anyway. And now I'm going to let him have it. So she marches over to the TV where he is, turns it off, stands in front of it. And she says, You know how I feel when I see you watching your dumb football games? I feel like a crumb that's sitting on the table. And then you just sweep it off onto the floor. And as if that's not bad enough, a dog comes along and licks it up. What do you think about that? And um, he did not burst into tears and fall at her feet, sobbing about how he he desperately wanted forgiveness. He said, I think that's a dumb way to feel. Now turn on the TV and get out of my way. a crumb was not necessarily what he could relate to (laughs) what was he interested in football it wasn't that complicated (laughs) so you, you rehearse your story pick a convenient time without distractions which she did not and then if it doesn't work try and try again don't give up just because maybe the person doesn't get it has jesus been patient with us so much. And the Lord wants us to be able to be patient with one another. Word pictures are something that I found has really enhanced our marriage and our communication. I can't tell you how often we use them. It kind of has just become a natural thing. I'm saying, Honey, I need you to understand. Okay, let me think here. This is what I'm feeling. <laughs> and it works. It gets through. So I really encourage you to practice this. If you feel like, wow, that's something I've never tried. Maybe you should go out and buy the book. But whatever you do, the Lord is the author of all communication and he has a great longing and desire for us to have quality relationships with one another love one another as I have loved you and the Lord has put so much into communicating his love for each for us that he wants us to communicate our love to one another All right, honey
0: do I have sound up there I think for the sake of time uh, what we're going to do is just close now and if you have a question you can either hand it in or you can email us our email is simply alanic2, A-L-A-N-I-C-2, at yahoo.com.
1: And we're on the road right now,
0: so. And we're on the road, yes, yeah, so back. you might not get an answer in the next week. But if you, even if you want to speak to us right after this, uh, we'll, we can spend a few minutes here. But for the sake of the general group here, I think we're just going to close right now. And we thank you for your patience and your time. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you that you have taught us what it is to love. We have seen it in the life of Jesus. We have seen it in the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we deal with others, that you will help us to reach out with that same caring, compassionate, sacrificial love. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.